How about these battling bucks? Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Gonna try and score, no, he's held up, and now they've got a double play chance. Rodriguez will throw to second, here comes the throw back to the plate, and they do it! Yes. What a job! What a job! Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. We are in Pittsburgh ahead of Pirates Fest Friday before, so we won't be talking about what happened at Pirates Fest, even though you're obviously seeing this after that's taken place. Hopefully we're going to be able to record some cool stuff at the event, but I am here with my co-host Ed Wassel, so we'll be talking about uh, some other stuff today. Our trip into Pittsburgh, very excited, hopefully going to be meeting some fans there, but Ed, uh, how are you doing today? This is our first time recording a live, like, in-person episode. Yeah, first time we're in the same city, really, let alone the same room. Yeah. Uh, doing good. Excited to be here. Got some good food and a couple drinks earlier. And Walking around the city. Got to see the Clemente Bridge all finished now. So, I mean, that's just awesome to see. And our hotel is right across the river from Heinz Field. Uh, sorry, Acrisure Stadium. It's Heinz. I'll never call it whatever it is now. Uh, so transactions this week, minor league signing for the Pirates. Michael Plasmeyer uh, has some major league experience. I'm not going to really get into that. We're going to continue our series with the infield stuff. Um, but... As of right now, Friday night, we're recording this 6.40 p.m. on January 5th. The Pirates have not signed anyone ahead of Pirates Fest. Uh, you just got notifications on your phone that Colorado signed Jacob Stallings, so he's... I don't know if they officially signed him. Just double-check that article because I see him still there. But he's potentially out of the mix. Uh, reports this week, though, that the Pirates were connected with Michael A. Taylor, center fielder, previously with the Twins. Club 21 home runs last year and has very good, I mean, elite, really, defense in the outfield. Carlos Santana reportedly connected to. And then a couple of pitchers. Stallings was signed to a one-year deal with uh, the Rockies. So not a surprise just as a backup. Yeah. But, um, like, if the Pirates, if the Pirates were to go into spring training with their lineup as it is right now. And this is something that uh, Jim Stam of Pirates Fan Forum posed this week. Is the team better, worse, or the same as they were a year ago? I think if you take it as a collective of the whole team, they're probably the same. Pitching is more of a concern. 
currently and probably mm-hmm. weaker at this point. But I think some of the positions solidified themselves. Just my opinion. What do you think? I It's a mixed bag because going into spring training last year, we had a lot of depth with pitching. And we'll talk about starting pitching in next week's episode. But looking at the reality of, okay, we lost Brubaker for all of last season. We lost Burroughs for all of last season. We, uh, you know, Vince Velasquez got injured and was down for most of the year. Rowanzi Contreras and Ortiz underperformed. Like, they kind of are preparing a little bit more with guys who, with like uh, Martin Perez and Marco Gonzalez, which everything that we've heard about Gonzalez, the nerve issue, Hopefully I get to run into him at, at Pirates Fest, but everything we've heard is that he is okay. He has been approved by doctors to pitch, so we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, let's get into... Actually, before we get into the infield, we were on the way here and listening to um, the uh, Mackie... Pitching in. Pitching in with, with <laughs> Mackie and Fort. I already forgot it. Uh, Pitching in with Mackie and Fort, and they were talking about some different options. And holy cow, Fort is always just throwing curveballs at Mackie because he's saying, oh, we should sign Madison Bumgarner and we should go after Trevor Bauer. One of those has a, a track record of success recently, and it's not Bumgarner. But one of the things that you were inspired by when listening to that and, and I wanted to kind of talk about that as, as a like very bold kind of suggestion is um, what happened like for taking uh, prospects. Yeah, a rule that it will never happen, but I thought would make the game a lot more fun and interesting is two teams that make the World Series, whoever wins gets to steal a prospect from the team that they beat. I mean, we were discussing whether or not you can Protect, protect a couple, a like couple, five. But yeah, it would be like no more than five. Or if they somehow expanded that across the league more, because everyone's worried about like service time manipulation and and or, like not getting these prospects up quick enough, forcing them to succeed and and do better, or call up their prospects is an interesting way. And again, this is all just like spitballing. But something like that would be really interesting to see after last year when uh, Diamondbacks, I mean, they still have a pretty deep farm system for the Rangers to say, hey, we just won a World Series. We get all the money that comes along with that. And now we get to steal one of your top prospects. It adds another layer of intrigue to the game, to the, the World Series. And I'd be interested if they can play that out a little bit further. Because then, it, again, forcing other teams to spend money to avoid having to lose their prospects if they finish like bottom third in the league or something. Yeah. I mean, anything you can do to kind of stop the manipulation of service time, it's going to be good for the sport. Yeah. But all right, well, let's jump into infield. We were going off script this week. I typically don't, but we're going to go off script. And now, uh, back on script, talking about the infield as it stands today, because like I said, reported Carlos Santana, uh, Charrington has mentioned that he is interested in bringing in another position player. 
He's also said he's interested in bringing in another starting pitcher. That hasn't quite happened yet. But uh, looking at this infield, there's some reasons to be excited and some reasons for concern. Starting with catcher, Henry Davis. We talked about him last week. Uh, projections are saying offensively really good. Defensively, we're not really sure yet. I mean, if he's only had about 100 games professionally between minor leagues where he's caught or 100, yeah, 100 games, uh, give or take. And then along with that, on the 40 man, Jason DeLay, who's projected for a 67 WRC plus, which is pretty much in line with what he did the last four months of the season last year after stellar first month. One home run, 620 OPS, 15 games, 58 plate appearances, a 0.2 F4. So this is all stats from fan graphs, like from last week. And then um, Ali Sanchez, similarly, 78 WRC plus, four home runs, a 657 OPS, 53 games, 211 plate appearances, a 0.5 F4. So I think they're seeing Ali Sanchez as the backup and maybe delay going back to AAA. Pretty sure he's got, he might have three options left. Uh, how do you feel the catching situation plays out or, or should play out with regards to that? I, th I think what they're going to do is start with Davis. And he's the best bat out of all of them. Yeah. And he said, we, we haven't really seen him. He hasn't even had a full season of being behind the plate. So until he gets more reps with the rotation and the rest of the guys on the team, his defense is never going to get better if he's not actually playing. So I think they will take, you know, the decline in defense that they would get if they had delay in there to get the benefits of Davis's bat. And then I would assume delay would be the backup. I think Alex Sanchez has one minor league option remaining. He has six game, six MLB games that he's played in. Delay's got the most experience of the three of them uh, professionally, but I, I mean, I don't disagree with their assessment that he's not going to hit 620 OPS is, and we've got other guys who can be much better than that offensively but that does weigh down the team, even if you've got him in the nine spot. Yeah. And Ali Sanchez, I think, isn't too far behind that. So it's really a question of how much value can you get from that. And if something happens and Davis gets injured, we just have two defensively inclined but offensively deficient catchers. And behind them, down in AAA uh, or AA, as far down as you go, Carter Bins. Abraham Gutierrez, they're okay. They, uh, again, defensively-minded catchers. I don't think they've really done too much with the bat. Carter Bins had a really strong showing in the Arizona Fall League. I think he, he had a, a week or two where he just went off. But uh, mostly, you've got him for his defense. Well, last year they went into the season knowing that they were going to have defensive catchers with almost no offensive output and they were fine with it well they were fine i don't think fans were no fans were not but we were also going in with the expectation that okay june hedges will take a back seat andy comes up davis eventually comes up somehow happened in the other way around 
but Davis only catching two innings in 2023 in with the Pirates. I don't, it, it seemed like they didn't view him that way. And obviously Andy's injury has made them have to pivot to say, okay, yes, you're a hundred percent our catcher, but it, it's weird for them to have to pivot because they didn't show that confidence in him previously. So I feel, I feel like that's something they're probably regretting a little bit. I, I don't know if it was a lack of confidence or listen, we want both of these guys in a lineup, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. You, you can't just be flip-flopping them every two or three days for uh, starts. You, you know, if you can get Davis out in right field or even Endy, I don't know why they didn't, Try and he had more experience moving around. He has also played first and second base. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, they could have. It, it, again, seemed like they were more into the defense that Andy provided. Really strong arm. I mean, we can't compare Davis too much because he didn't get to work with the pitching staff much, but also has a very strong arm. So we'll see. I mean, we, we got to hope that he's able to get, and he had the hand, the uh, yeah hand injury last year. So it's possible they were just concerned about that and didn't want to push him behind the plate, having to catch the ball repeatedly. Was it his left hand or his right hand? I think it was oh. his left hand. We are very good at this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so moving on, first base. Again, as of now, Rowdy Telez. Not so great on defense, a little flat-footed, but he's predicted to be pretty good with the bat. 107 WRC+, plus, 18 home runs, 781 OPS, 91 games, 392 plate appearances with a 0.8 F4. Presumably, at this stage, he'd be in a platoon situation with Connor Joe. We talked about him with the outfield uh, being okay. If he's just hitting lefties, I think overall that would be beneficial for him because that's been something he's been successful at going in, if going into the season, would you prefer Rowdy Telez? Who's like what? 26, 27. Who's maybe not so fleet of foot, but also, you know, 26, 27 and has that power potential. Or do you want the pirates to go out and re-sign Carlos Santana? Who's going to be 38 this year. Given. Yeah. I mean, he put up 20 home runs last year, 20 plus home runs and gold glove caliber defense finalist in that position. I mean, if they were both free agents still, and I can choose between the two, right. I would have gone with Santana. Seeing that Telez is already signed in on the team. It's just another roster spot that we're taking up. Uh, they, they'd have to drop. I can't, maybe they drop Joe at that point. I don't I, think they would just because he's young and still, you know, controllable. So it feels like it's a situation kind of like what they had last year where they traded and got Choi and then Santana was available and they signed him and they were like, okay. And it, it, I mean, it sort of worked itself out because Choi got injured early. And so Santana was exclusively playing first base, but I don't, I, I don't know that that's something that you want to necessarily be doing, having a backup first baseman, taking up a 26-man roster spot. Right. And I mean, I know like last year, I think it would have benefited would have benefited Santana more because you can tell when he didn't have anybody that can really platoon with him, he was getting worn down. 
I mean, and I don't blame him. He was 37. Yeah. You're not going to play first base every day. So very old. Much, <laughs> much, much older much. than we are. <laughs> we are. We are right there, too. Um, yeah. No. I, and again, he did a great job. Defense never wavered, but yeah, was a leader in the clubhouse. Allegedly, there's mutual interest on him returning. The connected teams are Pirates. Brewers and the Mariners, so his last three teams. So of all of them, we have also made a good impression. But yeah, I don't I don't necessarily see the fit either because you you've got Kutchin, who's gonna be the DH, and he's I mean, maybe gonna see some outfield as we talked about last week, but you can't assume that he's gonna be a full time right fielder. And that situation could be pretty fluid, but I don't know. I don't think that you'd lock in Telez as DH flip-flopping with Joe or with Santana or whatever. Hopefully they're able to rotate it around. Um, down in AAA, Malcolm Nunez, uh, one, one of our top prospects, had a down year last year. We got him in the trade along with Johan Oviedo for Ho uh, Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton in 2022. Trade deadline from the Cardinals. So Nunez, he's Got some power. He's uh, okay defensively at first base. Not going to wow you, but handles himself. Recently had moved from third. But, yeah, real down year last year. Something that he's hoping to, well, I mean, we're all hoping he improves on. We've also got Aaron Shackelford, who, man, I feel like he's been in AAA forever. I'm assuming I'm wrong, but he's, he's like got to be like 28, 29. And then, of course, uh, recently signed... Uh, oh, that was minor league rule five draft, Seth Beer? Yes. So we've got Seth Beer also in the minors. If Of those three, which one would you most be okay with breaking through? Not like opening day, but like at some point in time this season, would you most be like, okay, that that's fine? <laughs> I don't know, because... One of them has to prove themselves. I know uh, Beer has some major league experience. Sure. Not a ton, but, you know, at least he's seen it. Said Nunez has the power potential to be, you know, the prototypical first base in the lineup. But yep. Jackal Ford, it just seems like every year is kind of more of a depth piece than anything else. So probably continues that way but uh yeah I'm, i mean i've always been i've always really liked nunez when we do that top 30 in a couple weeks I, i'm assuming he's gonna still be on it i'm, I'm reevaluating it all the time but i hope he's still on it i, I think he's got a lot of potential even well, with the down year we had a lot of prospects drop off so even if he did decline yeah he's probably still gonna make the list yeah it's definitely weird making those lists year in uh year over year with that so moving to second base, we've got Leover Puguero, who I think as of right now is a front runner for the position, even though projection's not great. 85 WRC plus, 11 home runs, 694 OPS, 99 games, 427 plate appearances, a 0.9 F4. I'm assuming this might be a little bit based off the defense because like offensively, that seems okay. Second baseman with a near 700 OPS. It's not great, but I think that's got to be better than we had last year. 
we had to have a second baseman last year. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was second base is the position that they most need to get figured out. First base, I feel like we haven't had a consistent first baseman since. I guess you could say Colin Moran, maybe Josh Bell, ish. But like it's it's been a long time since we said okay, this is our first baseman for foreseeable future. We don't have a Paul Goldschmidt. We don't have a Freddie Freeman or uh, Christian Walker, anything like Rizzo. that. Rizzo. Well, yeah. So we don't we don't have one of those. But second base is something that we can get figured out if one of these guys breaks through. So we got Paguero. Next one up, Jared Triolo, projected for a 90 WRC plus, two home runs, 693 OPS. 37 games, 161 plate appearances, 0.3 F4. I think Triolo defensively, especially because that would sandwich Cruz, potentially sandwich Cruz, in between him and Key. And those guys can cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Could be an advantage. There was a number of times when uh, the next name I'm going to mention, Jiwon Bay, who we talked about last week, when he was playing second base, he'd cut off the shortstop to get to the ball just to make an errant throw. Triolo, he's good with the glove. He's he's accurate throws, throws harder than Key even. Um, but like really good range. And then the last one, uh, Nicky G, Nick Gonzalez, 85 WRC plus, four home runs, 685 OPS, 49 games, 210 plate appearances, 0.1 F4. Projections going based off of like pre-existing information isn't necessarily indicative of how they will perform. Of those three combined offensively and defensively, which one do you think is the best? Not which one you think is actually going to make it. Which one do you think is the best choice for opening day? Oh, I think personally, I think Triolo you combine the offense and defense is probably the best of the bunch. Peggy, not far behind. And I think Peggy's a little flashier, which fans enjoy that. Sure. So if it was up to me, Triolo would get opening day, but I see Peggy getting it. And I think they're going to give him, you know, a long look over there unless he gets hurt. It's not a bad thing because Triolo can be a super utility, versatile if he needs to jump over to first base, needs to go over to third, maybe shortstop in a pinch. Uh, and obviously we'll talk about that position next. But like that versatility honestly might be hurting him because they don't want to have him set into a role on the team. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I think Aguero has shown in flashes the uh, ability to provide some uh, interesting stuff oh as we're, <laughs> as we're recording <laughs> seven o'clock on friday night they officially signed martin perez of course i have all my notifications turned off what happened perfect max Cranick designated for assignment oh you were discussing that on the drive out we were just talking about that that he, he might because he was out of options although ethan Houlihan was saying that any you know ethan he's more right on this stuff than the experts so was saying that he should be eligible for a fourth option so that's a little surprising 
but I think there's a good chance that nobody claims him because he missed so much time. Because he missed so much time and he's still recovering from the injury. I, I mean, I hope because I really like Kranick. I think we thought the same thing with Osvaldo Bido. And then the A's went and claimed him. So, And uh, who else got claimed on us? Perdomo? Perdomo got taken by the Braves, even though he's then released got, like, well, he got the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's unfortunate. Um, all right. So we'll see what happens with Kranick. This is obviously not new news for you guys, but we just learned about it. Moving over to shortstop, obviously, O'Neill Cruz. 110 WRC plus, 23 home runs, 786 OPS, 128 games, 553 plate appearances, 2.8 war. It all of that, like it, his entire benefit to the team is based off of what he can do with the bat. And he's got 30, 30, or even higher upside. But we did see, and if you go and look at his stats, the two weeks that he was up last year before he got injured, he was actually pretty serviceable defensively. He was taking a little bit off his throws to make them a little more accurate. He was um, reading bounce like round balls, bouncers to him a little bit better. Felt like he had been working on that stuff and was, was attacking it in that way. But at the same time, fractured his ankle. Yeah. <laughs> so coming off an injury, we don't know how his movement's going to be changed by that. It's like starting at square one here. Yeah. So I don't know. I, everything, again, same thing with the Marco Gonzalez. Everything that we're hearing is that he wasn't in the winter league and doing that kind of workouts because they are doing their workouts with him. He's been hitting. Shelton's been happy with what he's seeing. Charrington's happy with how the progress is going. They just want him to report to spring training healthy and be able to, you know, get going right out the gates in March. Yeah, I mean, even seeing him uh, doing some batting practice in the Philly series, he was putting him in the upper deck. like, Which geez. made some fans think, okay, he might come back for this lot for against the Marlins. Because the, the Phillies was second to last series of the year. I guess there wasn't really a point, though. No. Why risk it? So the only other shortstop, though, that we have, well, shortstops. Okay, I've got Alika Williams on the 40-man, 76 WRC+, plus, one home run, 650 OPS, 11 games, 49 plate appearances, 0.1 war. And the only reason that I think his 40-man spot is safe for now is a defensive substitute. He's the only one who can do it. Because you've got Triolo, but, like, Alika's good. And also, he's young. He's, like, 23, 24. Like, I think we take for granted how young he is. Like, Paguero, we say, is young. He's just turned 23. Alika's not that much older than him, honestly. Yeah, sometimes you overlook some of that stuff because with some prospects, you hear about them for four or five years, yep. sometimes longer, and then they get called up. You're like, he's still only 23 or he just turned 24? <laughs> and that's another thing, going through the prospect list, thinking about how we kind of place higher value on prospects that are further out because they're like that new shiny thing. Cause I'm looking at him like, Oh yeah, shim is, is so great. Like last year. And now I'm like, Oh wait, he was injured all in all 2023. And he's been sitting for a while. So maybe he's not like a top 10 in this uh, prospect chart. 
That's a silly thing to think because the guy's elite. He's just because I've, I've he's been sitting in the system, and I'm going to go to the new. The Pirates have been reportedly connected to two top thirty international signings, or when the uh, window opens. That's not going to be for another week and a half. Um, and, and then we'll, I'll be like, oh, this guy, this guy, these are the new top guys. So I agree. I think that like you you see them, and over time, you get numb to what someone like. Aguero can do, even though he's again 23 and still has a lot to learn. And Endy coming up and saying, "Oh, you know, he's he's only hitting a 650 OPS. He's a kid. He's only 24. I don't even think he's 20. I think he's only 22 or 23. He might be. Um, like the, these are kids. These are I don't want to say literal children, but not everyone's going to come up and crush it." And Alika Williams somehow has been really good in AAA. Was really good with Indianapolis last year. I'll go ahead and pull up the stats while you give me any other thoughts that you have to kind of kill time while I find this. Well, you didn't bring up the rest of the shortstops. Uh, Shang-Chi Chang. Another young kid. Uh, maybe the best defensively in the organization at shortstop. But you know, small frame, still probably mm-hmm. a year or two out. But kind, of, I don't want to compare him to Bay. But speedy, like Bay, with much better defense. He is shorter than Bay. He is <laughs> uh, like, I think his it shows him at five seven. I'm like, that might be generous, guys. I think, so when I think when they he everyone a couple inches because yeah, Jamar Johnson, I think they had listed at five nine. And, uh, yeah. He's not. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so, Alika Williams, 2023 minor league stats, 284 at-bats. He batted 268, 12 home runs. Wouldn't expect that. 43 RBI and an 814 OPS. That's interesting. Yeah, I would, did not expect 12 right? home runs. I knew that he was popping off in the minors. So, Shang-Chi Chang, yeah. So, he was in... Greensboro moved up to Altoona the last, let's say, month of the season or so and really struggled there. So that obviously doesn't bode well because we see a lot of guys, we've talked about them in the past, Matt Frazier, Matt Gorski, Mason Martin, they crush in Greensboro. Everyone gets really hyped for them. They move up to Altoona. It's a bigger ballpark. You can't can't get it over the fences easily. But stuff that we're hearing out of Altoona is that Chang is, is working really hard and has, I mean, excellent work ethic, kind of a given with that. But they, the management thinks, the coaches think that he is going to be successful. And I, I mean, I see him as like an Altuve type, but hopefully it can stick at shortstop. So we'll see on that. Well, he could be the answer for second base in a couple of years. It could. I mean, potentially if, this year he's on the 40, man. If Cruz is still healthy and, you know, improving with deep, well, even if his defense doesn't really improve, he's probably still going to be the starting shortstop. Correct. But as long as he has that locked down, there's no reason that Chang can't, you know, shift over to second and try it. Yeah. I mean, it. Like I said, we're going to have a very short 
middle infield if it ends up being Chang and Tremar Johnson one day. So looking a little bit further down in AAA, Sergio Alcantara, he was a free agent, minor league free agent pickup, and Andres Alvarez, who I love, but you know he had a 2020 season with Altoona in 22, dropped considerably last year, but um, yeah, I great eye at the plate. That would not, that would be kind of a sneaky depth. I don't expect him to come up, but I guess it is possible at some point. And then moving down, uh, third base, an obvious reigning gold glover, Key Brian Hayes, 102 WRC+, 16 home runs, 754 OPS, 141 games, 609 plate appearances, 2.5 war. Do you, <laughs> you've heard me talk about Key's potential I think week in and week out, I pretty much text you a meme anytime he hit a home run last year. If he hits the ball at all, you're texting me something. And then you give me a Christmas gift of a Key Brian Hayes City Connect jersey. And then uh, I feel like this answer has to be yes. Do you believe that what he showed the last like month to month and a half last season is the real Key Brian Hayes? No, you son of a <laughs> I think he had a hot streak. I don't think he can do that on a consistent basis. He hasn't shown it yet to me. Defensively, he's a stud. There's no one going to argue that. I'm still not totally convinced with the bat. We saw what flashes in 2020. Sure. Nothing in 21. Okay, with elite. Exit velocity and barrel rates, but go on. Nothing in 22. Okay. Hurt his back, but go on. And nothing until like the last month of 23. I, you want to argue, but you can't. <laughs> All right. I would direct anybody. I am rooting for him. I really, I, I hope he, that's what he is. I'm just not convinced. You need to get on the hashtag key leave train. You can key leave this room. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna find Hayes. Is Hayes gonna be at Pirates Fest? Yeah. He's yeah. on like the second no, he's on the last panel. Oh, he is on the last panel. But we didn't even talk about that stuff. Oh no. Oh good. We get to end with that. Yeah, we'll hit that after we finish up the petitions. <laughs> uh so keep Ryan Hayes, pretty much main third baseman. Triolo, like we said, could bounce around there. And then for depth, Jake Lamb, uh Jackson Glenn. Who else did I see on that? Are in AAA. Oh, Jack Brannigan down in AA projected. I think we both like Brannigan, but he looked rough in Arizona Fall League. I think he was he's very outmatched there. If he is down for an extended period of time, do you assume that Triolo just takes over in his place? And like, if you were to say, okay, free agent signings, Key Brian Hayes right now, Jared Triolo right now. Which one do you believe the next five years is going to be better? Taking out contracts and and what they've they're doing right now and what they mean to the team. Because you just said you don't believe in Key's power. Triolo had a four forty BABIP after he came up last year. Right. So we may be seeing the exact same type of player. So we've got two Key very excellent defensive third baseman. Yeah. 
feel like I have to go with Key. All right. Or so I'll you get, are. Or I'll get lynch mob tomorrow if someone <laughs> recognizes us. Oh, they won't even hear this till after. They tomorrow. won't hear We're this good. till after Pirates Fest. Uh, so no I will. one's going to know. Hashtag Key Lever. I'll go ahead and place that under you. Uh, so anyway, talking about Pirates Fest. And again, you guys are listening to this after it's taken place. So hopefully we put up some cool video and are reporting only positive PR stuff. But the Pirates in their typical PR nightmare scenarios. January 3rd. Actually, let's go back a day. January 2nd. We, we were told ahead of time that, you know, Charrington, Ben Charrington, Travis Williams, uh, Shelton. I don't think nothing was ever announced to be there. But, like, the front office, the top people would be at Pirates Fest, and there would be an open forum to answer questions. January 2nd, news drops that it's you have to submit the questions ahead of time, and they will vet them, which understandably upset fans who wanted to be able to in the recent festivist manner air their grievances in front of these people for which they feel these grievances i mean i was excited for that but i was excited for and i get i get it to a certain point if if every five minutes you have a fan asking when nothing's going to sell the team or why didn't they trade you know they get the same question over and over yep you're wasting everybody's time yeah. And you're just aggravating not only probably the guys on the panel, but other fans that want to hear different news about the organization. So I do understand it from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. I still think they're going to cherry pick the cupcake questions that they can give you, you know, very manila answers to. Sure. Yeah. Williams will talk about. Uh, we'll pick out a question like, oh, how many more pretzels will we get this year? And Sherrington will get to give these wishy-washy answers about what kind of improvement they expect this season in which he does this like word salad giving you non-answers. We're right where we thought we were going to be. We're yeah, Rebuild is on pace. We're on track. And we're excited to win for the city. <laughs> but... At the same time, this is a more streamlined way to do this because, like you said, people could stand up, keep asking the same question. Uh, Gary Morgan, my editor inside the Bucks basement, uh, wrote a story that dropped this past week uh, basically saying like, hey, I, I get the anger. I was angry about this too, but here's my thoughts. And with some questions that he's since submitted to the front office and maybe they'll answer them at Pirates Fest. Maybe they won't. We're going to hopefully get some video and post that. But breaking down kind of like the mindset behind it. Because as much as it's generated this vitriol and additional, because we got another thing to talk about with that, it is in some ways understandable for them to want this form to be a little bit more, I don't want to say controlled because that's kind of obviously what it is but a little bit more stable where it's not going to get into chaos and people yelling about this five-year rebuild and how we're headed towards another sub 500 season because they signed Rowdy Telez and not Cody Bellinger. And, you know, why isn't Blake Snell and Jordan, Jordan Montgomery in the rotation or Otani getting paid $2 million this year? We could have afforded that. Why aren't we getting him? You guys know why, because that's not how it usually works. <laughs> 
So, uh, but then the other thing was on January 3rd, we knew that autograph signings were going to go up uh, and that it would be $20 for season ticket holders per session. We found out that morning that would be per session per like one item you get signed. And I've gotten countless emails about that since. Well, Thanks, you could pick one. You could pick one person. one person and they can sign one item. So we were talking that morning about it. Tickets go on, on sale at noon. Which they didn't. Which they did not go on sale exactly at noon. For a lot of you guys who are on the website, you probably struggle with it. Same as us. Link finally shows up. Uh, the first session with Brian Reynolds and Jack Sawinski and Bednar. That was season ticket only anyway. Season, season ticket. Well, I mean, it ended at 1030. So technically people could have gotten in at the end. But it was season ticket holders. It was all sold out. And then the other four sessions sold out within minutes. Potentially the session with Kutch was sold out during the season ticket only. Re reportedly, yes. That the Kutch session sold out immediately before it was released to the public. So, again, not great because so many people who wanted to get in uh, to be able to meet the, these players paying in advance aren't able to frustrated that they can't pay at the time to show up, get in line. It's mixed. I'll be honest. It's mixed. But if you show up and you pay and you're standing in line for an hour and a half and then the session ends, you're still standing in line. You've already paid. You're going to be a lot more mad than if you weren't able to get the tickets online. Mostly because you can be mad at home and just yell to nobody. But <laughs> if you're in line and it happens at the event, that would definitely be worse. So it, it's frustrating because there was a number of players that I was really considering getting in. And I, I'll be honest, I was fortunate. I was able to get tickets to one of the sessions. So, and I'll, I'll talk about that after Hearts Fest to see how that goes. But... Yeah, not a lot of other people were as fortunate. And on the other side of that, the announcement did not include how the uh, kids 14 and under situation was going to go because they were supposed to get free autographs throughout the day from players. Even subsequent messaging from the Pirates was lackluster because, and, and I've seen on Facebook and Twitter, people posting, hey, I want to drive to hopefully have my kid meet, you know, Henry Davis or Andrew McCutcheon or, you know, Jack Sawinski. This guy's their favorite player. I'm obviously not going to get into the regular autograph session, but how do we, there's, we don't know, you know, Friday, January 5th, 7 20 PM. Nobody knows who's going to be signing those autographs at the kids sessions throughout the day. It's separate from the regular ones. There are some names who, uh, Jason Mackey reported, like Ryan Barucki, Nick Gonzalez, potentially going to be there, reported to be there. So maybe they're signing them. Maybe they're just doing Bucko Family Feud. Again, you guys are watching this after the fact. We don't know at this point. But it's it's just something where the messaging does not match with expectations, naturally, because pirates. And uh, it's causing some irate fans. Yeah, I was expecting a bit more being the first Pirate Fest in, what, five-ish years? Yeah, especially, 
but think about it. So they sold, air quotes sold, because they were free, 16,000 tickets in the first two days. And then presumably more people got tickets after that. So they've got a ton of people who are coming to these events. Well, they have a ton of people that claim their tickets. Right. Once everything, the platforms dropped and now they everyone knows that they're not getting autographs. You're probably going to see a good number of people just drop out completely. Um, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely saw people posting that all I wanted to do was come up there and get an autograph from Mitch Keller. This event sold out. I'm, I'm not driving, you know, three and a half hours from West Virginia to just walk around. It's like, all right, I get that. Yeah. And going back to Gary and Jim on Pirates Fan Forum, they were talking about some stuff with regard to season ticket holders and events that they can have. On an off day, when they're at home, you have a season ticket holder day where these season ticket holders can come to the park and get autographs from their favorite player. Because you sometimes get the opportunities before games or, well, pretty much just before games, not usually after. Uh, you get those opportunities sometime at spring training. Not everyone has that luxury. And that's pretty much it. And the Pirates Fest, which first time in four years. So the the opportunity, and especially for like the kids getting to meet these players who, in their minds, are larger than life. I remember as a kid getting to see minor league players and meet them and get their autograph, even if they never made it to the major leagues. That doesn't matter when you're eight. Because it's exciting. It's exciting to see a professional baseball player who, you, like, is recognizing you and giving you their time and their attention. And so, like, I thought that was a really cool idea. But, I mean, I also like the idea of being able to steal prospects if you win the World Series. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> you got to be a little bit split grain of salt on that. So hopefully the Pirates are able to have comb this over a bit with Pirates Fest. It's definitely something fans are excited about. Maybe a little bit more tenuous relationship after this past couple days, but hoping that it, it goes well. So what what are your hopes for Pirates Fest before we sign off on this? I hope I win the pierogi eating contest. That's a big goal. Yeah, I don't even know if to enter. But I'm thinking about it. Uh, I don't know. I, I want to have some fun interactions with some other fans. Yep. Potentially meet some of the players walking around. Yeah. And, you know, play some games, whatever there is. Maybe we should drop this Saturday morning. Okay. All right. So if you're watching this, we've already dropped it on Saturday morning. If you're at Pirates Fest and for some reason have seen this, come find us. We have stocked up on Starbucks gift cards. We're going to be playing Bucks for Bucks. You find us or we approach you we'll ask you a trivia question if you get it right you get a five dollar starbucks gift card i've got a lot of them so until i run out they're going to be available um for you all of them will involve pirates trivia with ranging levels of difficulty hopefully not too hard they were all hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> i ran, ran the by ed so we'll we'll see how that goes but uh, that wraps it up for all of us here today. Thank you for taking the time to listen. You can follow me on all social media at 412 Double Play. Uh, as I mentioned, back to writing stories for Inside the Bucks Basement. I'll have my infield breakdown into a little bit more depth, dropping 
uh, probably on Monday, depending on how much time I have this weekend. Continue listening, watching us, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified, especially if we drop episodes on Saturdays randomly. And from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.